the Bible. Are you intimidated at the thought of reading such a complicated book? Do you find it daunting or delightful or both? Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. The Bible book club, where we read every word of this great book and then study it together. When last you trekked with us through the wilderness in the Bible book club in Exodus, here's where we were. The Israelites were facing tests, several. So there was another water test and they were cranky, those whiny babies. They came close to stoning Moses. And then they had a battle with the Amalekites. Moses was battling fatigue. It was the fatigue of holding his arms up during that battle with the Amalekites. Fortunately, he had a few friends to help him get through it, but it was also fatigue from having to serve as judge over so many people. And fortunately, he had wisdom of a wise man, his father-in-law, to help him get through that. Then Jethro made one last appearance praising God for what he had done for Israel, and he gave Moses some timely advice about delegating his responsibility. Right. So in this episode, we are turning a major page in Exodus because we are entering into the second part of Exodus. If you'll remember, we talked about in the very beginning that the structure of Exodus only has two parts. Chapters 1 through 18 are the Exodus from Egypt, which we have successfully completed. Chapters 19 through 40 are the covenant at Mount Sinai. So remember that was a big Bible bander to some of us that um, <laughs> actually they're not going to be, they're not going to be in the desert, like roaming the desert in Exodus. They are just going to be camped out in that mountain. Now the theme, just for a refresher, is this. Exodus is the, God's faithfulness to rescue and care for his people. So he's already rescued them and now he's going to set up all these principles to care for them. And that goes through Exodus Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because altogether they tell the story of how a holy God can be reconciled to a rebellious people. Now, the summary of what this whole book is about, just so we remember when we turn this big page here, is Exodus is the story of how God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian oppression, we just finished that part, and created a covenant relationship with them at Mount Sinai, then dwelt among them in the tabernacle. So from this point on, God is taking this people and he is going to turn them into a nation of people. And he's going to give them the instructions for how he wants to do that. And then he's he wants to lead them into the promised land, but they're going to mess up and that's why they're going to have to wander in the desert. But that is the point. He's preparing them for when they will enter the Canaanite land and become this great nation. So Yeah, and I think if you're listening to this today, also know that God does the same thing for you today that he was doing for the Israelites back then. All this is a foreshadowing, a prequel, if you will, to Jesus because Jesus also delivered you from mm-hmm. oppression. He also also wants to have a covenant relationship with you through reading this word, which you do when you're listening to the Bible Book Club. And he also dwells among you, even though it's not a physical tabernacle like they had back then. He's with you in your heart. Because he gave day. us the Holy Spirit. Right. Exactly. Wow. That, Great. Now we're getting way ahead of we're ourselves. We're getting way though. ahead of ourselves. Back that's okay. to Exodus. All right. So here's our setup for chapter 20 and for the Ten Commandments, because that's what we're going to head into. There is a, before we go into the Ten Commandments, I just want to point out, no matter what denomination you are currently um, going to church at, there is a little nuance between the denominations of how they number 
the commandments. So I just want to point that out in case you happen to be like, for example, in the Catholic and Lutheran churches who combine the first and second commandment um, and then create two commandments out of the 10th. So I'm going to follow actually the the, the other way. I'm not going to do the, the Catholic or Lutheran way, but just know that if you do have a Catholic or Lutheran Bible, yours is, your numbering is going to be a little bit different, but it covers all the same stuff. So the divisions for the commandments are just two. Commandments one through four are God telling the people how to have a right relationship with him. So remember, he's preparing them for this, this relationship they're going to have. Then commandments five through 10, he instructs them on how to have a right relationship with people. It's it's so similar to the New Testament, you know, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like if we just would focus on those two things, loving God and loving others, we all, everything else you're going to see, all the other laws hinge on those two. And it sounds simple, but it's hard to do. <laughs> it sounds simple, but it'd be a good thing to try to remember every yeah. day when you wake up. All right, starting in chapter 19, in this chapter, Moses's journey comes full circle. So for him, this must have been a really, really momentous day. Because if you'll remember way back in chapter three, Moses literally met God for the first time at this same place in a burning bush. So remember, he was shepherding sheep at the base of this mountain and he met God for the first time. And God said to him in chapter 311, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And here he is. God's sign to Moses from chapter three has been realized. And we're going to see a lot of times in the next few chapters, God's going to say, remember what I did for you in Egypt. Remember, and he's talking to the people, but I think it's sweet here that he knew Moses needed this sign too. That what that even though it was so hard to lead them out of Egypt, he knew go- Moses still had a lot of work ahead of him. And he was going to have to have this epiphany moment where what God promised came true. He has brought the people out of Egypt. Moses is no longer stands there alone with a bunch of sheep at the base of this mountain. He is no longer a shepherd of sheep. He stands at the base of this mountain now, surrounded by millions of people, people, God's people. God, through Moses, delivered a nation just as he promised. And Moses needed to know, full circle, God did it through me and God's going to continue to work through me. Now, Israel's going to remain at Mount Sinai for almost one year. And for the next 59 chapters of the Bible, we are going to be part at this camp. I don't know what they did there for 59 chapters, but <laughs> but a whole year camping. Well, they set up their camps and they lived their lives <laughs> they in did. communion with each and other. And they got into some trouble, even yeah. though there was not much to do out there. They are going to depart from this camp, like I said, in 59 chapters in the book of Numbers chapter 10. So just so you get the scene, 
mountain. I encourage you to Google what this mountain looked at. It's actually beautiful. These are granite mountains and they almost have like a violety purple haze. They're gorgeous. So they had a really good view. I don't know where exactly Moses would have climbed up and we're going to see in this, the next few chapters that he goes up and down a lot. So basically Moses is like a free solo climber. Yeah, he is. <laughs> He is. I don't know where the path was and how he got up and down, but he's a poor guy got a workout. All right. This first section of chapter 19, I've called God prepares the people for their future as a nation. And he's going to do that in three ways, or as I call them, mountain messages, three different mountain messages. Then the first one, he's going to remind them of where they have been and who they are. Then in the next message, he's going to teach them how to prepare to be in his holy presence. And then he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. So starting in chapter 19. And I think as you read this or listen to the reading of this, think about how he's doing the same for you, how he's teaching you those same three things in your life through this. All right, chapter 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So mountain message number one is remember, and Moses goes up the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses just had this conversation all alone with God, and now he's going to go down the mountain. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So the people agree to remember what God has done for them and to obey him and keep God's covenants, which is about to be revealed to them, the law or the Ten Commandments. If they do, these three things will happen. They will be a treasured possession. In other words, they will belong to God. They will be a kingdom of priests. And this refers to how God will use them in the future. And they will be a holy nation. And this refers to how as God's plan unfolds more and more, Israel will be the means by which all nations have knowledge of him. And I want everybody to just think about something right now. If you think about all that God has brought these Israelites through, all the miracles that they've just seen and all the awesome wonders, when God asks you to do something, are you like the Israelites who say, <laughs> yeah. yes, I know you said they're going to get in trouble and and that's okay. And, and if you get off the path, we've taught you there's a path and you can get back on. But are you like the Israelites? And do you say, yes, God will do everything that you say because we've seen the awesome wonders you've performed in our lives and around us? Or do you not answer that call? Where are you? Where are you on that continuum right now about what God's asking you to do? Good thought. Okay, so Moses is about to go up the mountain again for mountain message number two from God. And that is prepare for God's presence and how to do that. So Moses brought their answer back 
back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they approach the mountain. So again, you get this picture of uh, this is the beginning of God's having a relationship with the Israelites. Before, remember, he just told Moses and Aaron what to do, and they kind of did it and let them, you know, dealt with Pharaoh and then led them out, and they were just following Moses. Well, now Moses goes up, he gets a message from God. He goes back down. He gives it to them. The people respond and agree. He goes back up. He tells God what they said, even though we know God knew already Mm -hmm. what they said. And then then God gives Moses the next instructions. Okay, they're ready. They've agreed to obey me. Now you need to prepare them to meet me and they need to consecrate themselves. So Moses goes down the mountain. And I like how he also, how he said, hey, put some limits on them so that they're not going to get this so fast. And he does that for us today, right? Mm -hmm. He puts limits on our lives because he knows if we got the thing, if we got the wealth right now, we would squander it. If we got the uh, blessing right now, we wouldn't know what to do with it. So Mm -hmm. he puts some limits on the people and he does that to us just the same. And he does that for now for our salvation. We do have to believe in him and make that statement of faith before we receive the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's putting, it's so, such a foreshadowing of the future. Okay. But he goes down the mountain. All right. Verse 14. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. All right, so this was kind of a little diversion because God had said, you know, consecrate them consecrate them, and they need to wash their clothes. And Moses adds abstain from sexual relations. I read lots of commentaries on this. We don't know why. Maybe, you know, he didn't write that God said it too. So skip it. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> We're not going to go into that. We're not going to go into that. The outward act of washing their clothes and abstaining from sex was a sign that the inner act of sanctification was also taking place. So God is asks us sometimes to outwardly do what represents us in our inside or our heart. In other words, both physically and mentally, they were to be preparing to meet their God. This was a big deal. So it's kind of like a fasting yes, before you can meet they, God. It's like stripping out all the things that could be representing the flesh. Well, and if they do it wrong, they're going to be killed. Like you said, yeah, they're going like, to be stoned if they touch the mountain. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like you need to be in the zone. You need to be focused. This is, you know, you're going to meet your God, your Redeemer, the King of Kings. This was an awesome thing. And you had to be in the right frame of mind. And it was something that no other nation had ever gotten the privilege of doing. The entire nation was going to get to meet God. So mountain message three is the Ten Commandments. And here's the scene for the Ten Commandments. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone 
everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. All right, this was scary. The people have prepared themselves to meet God, and they are not told what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, there's thunder and lightning. And remember, I don't think there was a lot of rain in this area because they're still kind of near Egypt. And so it was probably very, very scary. And then this thick cloud comes over the mountain. This is a theophany. We've talked about theophanies before. It's a manifestation of God. And this one is one they will never forget. We have gone from a little burning bush to a trembling fire-filled mountain. So probably the last time they saw something like this happen was Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like Sodom. Sulfur raining down. Well, yes, but only, but they didn't see that. Israel didn't see that. That was, Israel was only little tiny Abraham family. Yeah, but the stories were passed down. So they're probably like thinking there's something going on that is really scary that they're about to get destroyed. Well, they see the cloud and remember they've been following a cloud, but the impression here we get from this description is that the cloud descended almost ominously. Over the whole mountain. So- on this third day, there's thunder and lightning and the cloud, which they've been following. Then there's a very loud trumpet that signals to them to approach. We hear it. We see it's a trumpet, but we don't get the impression that it's a trumpet that they blew. <laughs> it was a trumpet blast that came from heaven. And there are several trumpet blasts in the Bible that are heavenly, and we'll get to those one day. But it is a biblical kind of symbol. Now, Moses leads them forward and they are trembling. The smoke billows and the Lord descends in fire. Then the mountain trembles violently. Now, I have looked at these pictures online, like I told you of these mountains and they're granite mountains and trembling mountains is like an earthquake to me. Yeah. I've never been in one, but I do have relatives in California and I've heard they're super scary. And so I can't imagine if they're just all standing out there to almost two million of them and the mountain starts to tremble, you'd be grabbing your child and probably dropping to your knees. Then God speaks with Moses for all to hear. Remember, this time Moses is not up the mountain. He has led them out. So he's been meeting with God. He's not afraid anymore. He's got it going on. He knows the drill, but they don't. And he leads them to the mountain for God's words. Verse 19. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses now goes up. He leaves the people behind. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord. And many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. So this is kind of funny because Moses just climbed the mountain and God tells him, go down and tell them. So listen to what Moses says. I kind of, I kind of thought this is funny. That's funny. Like, like I don't want to be like, really? I just got really? here <laughs> again. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. 
put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy? The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. I do like that Moses is now so comfortable with God. He feels okay arguing. You're not going to come up. You just told me to tell him that. (laughs) So Moses goes down the mountain to remind them of the mountain. And I'm going to give you a new word. And it's tripartite division. Okay, so we have a a little symbolism going on here. The mountain has divisions of appropriate accessibility, which will mirror the tripartite division of the tabernacle in just four or five chapters. So the first division is Moses and Aaron alone can access the top of the mountain, which is where God comes down on, which corresponds to the most holy place in the tabernacle. The priests can access the mountain, but not the top. And that middle section corresponds to the holy place that we're going to read about. And then the people have to stay at the foot of the mountain, which corresponds to the outer court. So in just a few chapters, God is going to lay out the court and the tabernacle and all of that. And you're going to see that before it, they did this on the mountain. So that's what tripartite means. It's basically like three parts of the mountain, Moses and Aaron on the top, the priests in the middle, and then all all the people down below. And it kind of reminds me right about what happens at the actual um, tabernacle or, you know, what is it called? The place where they are allowed to go. What is it called? The ark? There's, no. there's the most holy later, place where the ark resides. Later, once they build the temple. temple. Yes. It's kind of like the temple, yes. right? Do they just recreate that later? Yes. There's the outer court. There's the inner yeah. court where the priest can go. And then there's the, there's the ark or the covenant. And only one person can go in there, the most holy of holies. Yeah. So this is the start of all of that. And of course, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn to the most holy of holies because we now have access to God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But this was the rule up until then. Correct. All right. So moving on to chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Now, we cannot be sure if Moses had the Ten Commandments at this point when he came down because it doesn't say or if he went up again and got them. But in any case, he just gives them right here. So Moses was in really good shape. Yes. And remember, he's 80 years old. (laughs) I mean, 80 years old. He had to still be. I think it was a magical chicken. I think he still had the staff. (laughs) The staff is now a climbing stick. It's like the fountain of youth staff. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Continuing on in chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So there's there's that statement of remember what I have done for you. He, he puts one of those in all the time. And now he lays out the first four commandments, were, which spell out how to have a right relationship with God. And when you read that, hear him say to you, remember what I have done for you. Correct. All right. Now listen to the first commandment in verse three. You shall have no other gods before me. The people have just spent 400 years in Egypt, and Egypt was a nation that worshipped many gods, which we learned about through the plagues, Um, and so did many other nations. They were polytheistic nations. The first commandment is going to set Israel apart from all the other nations and remind them first and foremost that they are to be faithful to one God alone. This commandment is the basis for all the commandments that follow. And I think 
think that's different today. We think about, well, yeah, of course there's one God. Sometimes I think we're not really polytheistic here, but sometimes you make gods out of Correct. out of things in your life. You can make a God out of uh, good perks. things like your children, <laughs> your children. You can make a God out of your spouse, or your children. Right. You can make a God out of your work. Mm-hmm. And so we all have to be really careful that we're not doing that, that we're not lifting anything up above God in our lives and in our hearts. Yeah. Because it's the first commandment. All right. The second commandment. And before I read this, remember all that God has done for you. Verse four, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So in some denominations, like I said before, these first two are combined. In this case, they're not. This commandment is, though, an expansion of the first commandment. Israel should not do as other nations do by worshiping the idols of their gods. Nor are they to do as other nations by worshiping God, by identifying him with a man-made thing. So God does not want them to make things and worship the things that look like God or what they think, which they're about. This commandment has a penalty that affects generations to come. In other words, a disobedient parent who worships inappropriately can leave a pile of trouble for the next generations to work through. I think that happens even still today. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, not just perpetuate the things that you are taught by your parents. Right. Right. And you got to learn how to break the cycle. It's easier for kids to catch something than to be taught, taught or caught. Right. All right. Let's do commandment three. And as we read, remember all the things that God has done for you. Verse seven, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So to treat Yahweh's name, and I even have it spelled here, Y-H-W-H, they left the vowels out because the the Jews did not even spell it out. To treat that with dis- disrespect is to treat his gift of salvation lightly. The Jewish practice of not pronouncing his name at all is a safeguard against any possibility of breaking this command. And I really do respect the Jews for how respectful they are of God. And and it's because they had these experiences. I'm sure if he trembled on a mountain in front of me and I stood there in an earthquake, I would be a lot more respectful mm-hmm. than I am because you have that respectful kind of fear. You know? <laughs> or if he had just brought you through the water, uh, and right. the wall of water on either side of right. you. Or, right, exactly. Or if he had turned Moses' staff into a snake in front of you or any of the other things they've seen. Right. Commandment four in verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter or your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This command and the next are the only two positive commands. The pattern of six days of work followed by a day of rest is the pattern of creation. What is good for God is good for us. God worked for six days and he rested for one. God's telling Israel that your day-to-day life is a recreation. You're going to work and you're going to rest. You're going to work and you're going to rest. God ordered the universe in Genesis 1 and God is giving Israel as a nation order. This commandment is not a burden, but a gift for them. It's legislating that they have to rest, which they all need. And on that day, they're to think about God and remember him and everything he did. Now we think of the Sabbath day as a Sunday, right? But the Israelites then, it was their Saturday. Sabbath started on on sundown on Friday night and lasted all the way through Saturday. Correct, correct. So we have the Lord's Day in the New Testament. We kind of shifted over to the Lord's Day and it being the first day. Yeah. So So, I guess, right, it's not important what day you do it. It's just important that you do it. Under the new law, it's just important that you spend a day. And that's why it's okay if you're a doctor and you have to work on Sunday, you got to work on Sunday because people are dying on Sunday. And Jesus was freed up on that. He healed people on the Sabbath. And so it's all a matter of having a right heart and not not the legalism. All right. Commandments 5 through 10 are all about having a right relationship with people. Commandment 5, verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. All right, again, a positive commandment, the only one of two, but also the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is outlined even further in Ephesians 6, 2, which says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So it's not the first commandment. It's the first one that comes with With a a promise promise that if you do it, you're going to live a long life and you're going to be okay. Now, it is positive, but I do think there's also the implication that if you don't do it, things are not going to go so great. Right. And it doesn't say that you're going to die or anything. It doesn't imply that. But Well, the opposite of living long in the land is not living long in the land. You could. Right. Right. But I do think you do get a special crown in heaven. And I know you're kind of like where I am when my dad had cancer and you're taking care of the people who went ahead of you and honoring them. There is a a special, it is a gift. It It is a privilege to care for them as you ushered them out of this life. And I think that that, that's a big part of honoring your parents. And it's not easy work. It's not pretty work. But um, I think there is a blessing in there hidden. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard to do when you're young. uh, As you're being raised by parents, sometimes we dishonor our parents and we don't do what they say and we, you know, buck their rules. But then as you get older and more mature, it becomes something that is a joy to be able Mm -hmm. to do to honor them in that way. The practical application for children today, it was so interesting to me. My pediatrician was a believer and he would look at my kids and he'd say, the first thing you would ask them at their physical was, are you obeying your parents? <laughs> and they'd kind of roll their eyes and he'd say, because you know, everything they tell you to do is for your protection and it ensures that you will live long. That's awesome. So he applied it that, you know, if you don't take drugs, if you don't drink alcohol as a teenager, if you, you know, do finish your schoolwork so that you can get a 
good job and eat good food, it helps you to live long. And that's the principle here for children um, is that you will live longer if you obey your parents, because of course, the instruction they give you just keep you alive. I love that. My husband and I just went to an art show over the weekend and we bought a piece of photography that we're going to hang in our house. And it's this really cool picture of a really old couch. But on the back of the couch, somebody had written, don't make your mama cry. (laughs) So it's basically the same thing. Like, (laughs) don't make your mama cry and you'll live long in the the land. You'll live long. Yeah, we're going to hang that up. All right. Let me continue on. We can tell Heather has teenagers. Yeah, teenagers (laughs) for sure. They're making her cry. Commandment six. And this one is for the mom of the teenagers. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Commandment six, verse 13. You shall not murder. All right. Murder was prohibited long before this command was given. And there were lots of commentaries that did talk about many of these commandments would have been a, a practice already for the Israelites. We know as far back as the first children, Cain and Abel, that God sent them a message that murder was not going to be acceptable to him. And it still is not today. And that's a beautiful thing about the Ten Commandments is they really do stand today. When we get into the Book of the Covenant in a couple chapters, some of those were cultural and do not stand today. Yeah. And if you remember just a few chapters earlier, Moses committed murder when he murdered that Egyptian that was right. mistreating right. the Israelites. Right. All right. Commandment seven in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. I loved Ellicott's commentary on this. And so I'm going to read it straight up because it just was a great explanation. It was a beautiful explanation, actually. He said, next to the duty of respecting a man's life, the sixth commandment, is placed that of respecting his domestic peace and honor. Adultery is an invasion of the household, a destruction of the bond which unites the family, a dissolution of that contract, which is the main basis of social order, marriage. It was forbidden by all civilized communities and frequently punished with death. I don't think I have to say anything else on that. So beautiful. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. People, kidnapping, animals, land, or things. All that was wrapped up in you shall not steal. It was a threat to society and it breeds distrust. And that is why it is a commandment. Commandment nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. This may have referred to give to the giving of legal testimony in court, um, and it may also include just basic lying, deceit, slander, gossip, you know, at the watering hole. So don't do either one. Don't do either one. Commandment 10 in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. His car. His house. His watch. His his kids. Her shoes. (laughs) The school he went to. Exactly. This is the only... So hard. I know, so hard. This is the only commandment that pertains just to the heart. It's like a thought. It's not actually doing something. It's just you, you shouldn't even think this. And because of the inward desire of coveting, and the, re, the reason God put it here is because it could grow and lead to actions. In the future, when we get there, David, for example, coveted Bathsheba, acted on the desire, commanded that she come to him. He was a king, um, which is stealing. He stole her. Then he slept with 
with her, which is adultery, number seven. Then when she became pregnant, he had her husband killed, which is murder, number six. So he broke eight, seven, and six just as a result of breaking commandment 10. Yeah, and we're not uh, advocating for breaking all of those commandments, no. but just saying that there can be redemption in Jesus because, well, Jesus wasn't even with David yet, at least not in that form, but um, he was a man after God's own heart. Right. Even though he committed yes. all of those things, you can be redeemed and turn around your life and become a great person and do great things for God. I always use David as examples because I we know David's that story. God loved him, that he loved God. And still just that one little act of checking Bathsheba out, he coveted and he took because he could take. And that is a problem I think that many Americans have. We have the means to take. The power, it's power. Yes. And with great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. Verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. I think this is also funny, like a kind of play that that God had like, okay, so Moses, you and I are really going to be the ones talking here, but I'm going to talk to them just one time. They won't ever want to talk to me again. really going to scare them. (laughs) It's going to be just between you and I going up, going on. Well, the same time he's running poor Moses up and down. It really is a comedy. God invented sense of humor. This is how you know. All right. Verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Moses goes back up the mountain. It sounds as if Moses was standing with the people and they all heard the commandments together. Remember, we don't we don't have anything about tablets at this point. So when Moses came down, he must have had the Ten Commandments with them and then they all heard them together. They didn't like it. <laughs> and they expressed their preference for Moses to do all the future communicating with God all by his little self up on the mountain. Just keep that cloud up there. Don't make it come down. They didn't like it because they were scared of God, right? Not not because they didn't like the things that were being said. Well, remember they probably didn't like both, but Right. Remember Mo- he told God told Moses in the beginning when he was talking to Moses and he said this is how it's going to go down, go down there and tell them. He said, "I'm going to do these things so they will trust you." So I think God right. knew he when I come to, down and I shake the mountain, they're going to trust Moses has got this covered. And I'm really only going to talk to Moses on the most holy and holy top of the mountain. Now, the, here's the commanding importance of the Ten Commandments in a nutshell. God has redeemed a people out of slavery for a reason. From this nation, remember, his ultimate goal is to save all the nations through this one nation. That seed is Jesus that was promised in Genesis way in the beginning when the serpent kind of ruined paradise for all of us is that there will come a seed one day from this nation that will save all nations. The Ten Commandments had far more importance than just for these Israelites to be personally good. This is not a goodness lecture. I need each of you to be really good. If the Israelites could not have a right relationship with God or with each other, how could they be a light to the Gentiles? This was a nash this was national importance. The whole nation had to be trucking together so that other people could see them as different because they need to be a light to the Gentiles, which are all the other nations. This was God's 
unfolding plan. From one family, Abraham's, would come one nation, Israel, that would produce one son, God's son, who would save the world. It's all one book, the Bible. It's just growing as the plan unfolds. This was Israel's role to play from the beginning. From the nation of Israel, the light of the world would come for all to see. And God is trying to teach them how to be that light. And like you said, which is like Jesus said, like God said, it really all comes down to love God and love people. Yeah, that's what it's all about. You're going to be different when you do that. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio, edited by Buck Buchanan, produced by Haley Mawatt.